attacks his enemies by waiting for them to get near his tree and drops down and kills them by ripping apart their faces and their heads. Okay. Pastor, you're missing the whole point. I'm not going to go, I'm not going to stay on land. I'm not going to climb a tree. I'm not going to go into the water. I'm going to stay right where I am. I'm going to land and I'm just going to stay. Stay put. Well, reason number five, you'll find that the sun is actually killing you because of the consistent and concentrated amount of dangerous heat waves which cause temperatures to reach 120 degrees. So, you know, Australia. There seems to be an overabundance of reasons not to go to Australia. It's kind of fun to read, actually. But in Philippians, the passage that we're in today, Paul gives an overabundance of reasons not to avoid something, but to have something. Paul wants to convince you to have joy. And in this room, maybe you feel like you can't have joy. Joy is not reachable for me. Paul wants to convince you that you can have joy. And he does that by giving us and modeling for us an overabundance of reasons to have joy. Because even if there's a drop bear that rips apart your face. So let's look at Philippians together uh, and look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. I'm sorry. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The first reason Paul gives, grace. Grace. In verses 1 to 2, Paul sends his usual greeting. If you look at all of his letters, this greeting is not necessarily that unusual. But, but while his, his greeting might be the usual greeting, it's actually, it contains the most unusual fact in history. And that fact is found in verse 2 here. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace always comes first and grace is the starting point of joy. But this is why this, it's the most unusual fact in history because grace comes to us first. Before we ever get to grace or think we can achieve grace, grace comes to us first. We don't deserve grace. We don't reach out for grace. We are not even seeking grace in our sin. 
in our sin, all we do is seek more sin. All we are earning is more wrath and more condemnation. And yet, while we were at our worst, while we were at our darkness, our most rebellious, our most sinful, and least deserving, God came to us with grace first. When, if you're a Christian today, and you repented and believed in Christ on a day in the past, it wasn't because you were somehow ready for it. Somehow you were more receptive to the gospel or more righteous. It's because God's grace came to you at your most sinful self. We like to imagine we're all at the bottom of a mountain and we're trying to climb to get to God. But the reality is grace is the opposite. Grace is God coming down from the mountain to us. If it were up to you, like... If, if God put it on your shoulders to achieve peace, you would never achieve peace with God. If it were up to you, you would obliterate whatever peace you had. But God the Father in Christ covers us with grace, and therefore we have peace with Him. It's His grace accomplished for us in Christ that establishes and maintains our peace. Not, not what we do. What establishes and maintains our peace with God is His grace, His grace alone and His grace first. And so grace is the starting point and undergirding of all our joy. It starts it and it undergirds it. Secondly, we have joy and thanksgiving. Paul models this for us in verse 3. I Thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. I love Christmas movies. I, really, I love Christmas movies. Some of my favorite movies. But if there seems to be one central plot, it's that there's one character that has forgotten the meaning of Christmas. And they just don't remember what Christmas is all about. Right? They're always usually the grumpiest ones or something like that. And the movie kind of centers around this person remembering Christmas. So, I mean, I think about it, like Charlie Brown, the Grinch, uh, Elf, right? There's always this one character that needs to be reminded about Christmas. They have to be reminded about the spirit of Christmas to feel joy again. And sometimes we just need to be reminded to be thankful. In our minds, we might think, well, I know this. I know I need to be thankful. But the question is, are you thankful? Do you practice thanksgiving? And notice, notice the reason why Paul gives thanks here. It's for people. He gives thanks for people. It's not, it's not wrong to be thankful for gifts like houses and jobs and food. It's, it, actually, we should give thanks for everything. But the pattern of the New Testament and what I found in my own life is being thankful for people, the people that God has put cons- consistently in my life, to keep me faithful to Him, right? To, to encourage me in Him, to help my obedience, to point me in Christ. Being thankful for those people has brought about more joy in my thanksgiving than giving thanks for anything else. So we give thanks for all things, but especially people. People are one of the greatest gifts that God 
gives to us, especially fellow Christians. And that's the third on this list of joy, fellowship. Fellowship. Verse 4, I give thanks in my prayers for you because of, why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So the Christian life and joy in the Christian life are impossible without the partnership of and fellowship with fellow believers. Sometimes it's like we treat the church like a buffet, right? We can go if we want or not, choose what we want, but leave kind of the bad behind, just avoid those dishes. It's usually the crab, right? We don't want to go near the crab. In reality, the, the church is more like a boat. And we're, we're on the boat. We're all on it together. We might not like always being on the boat, but we're here. And we're here with the people God has given us. Not just for our good, but for their good too. I think we forget that, don't we? These people don't exist just for our good. We exist for their good. Christians, fellow Christians. And we're also responsible that nobody goes overboard. And if fellow Christians possess the Holy Spirit, then one of the most immediate and direct ways to receive the Spirit is to welcome and, and cherish fellow Christians. Right? If you want more of the Spirit in your life, hang out with more Christians in your life. Fellow partners in the Gospel. The reason some of us lack joy is because we're Sunday morning Christians. And all the contact we have with fellow Christians is on Sunday mornings. We need to dive deeper into fellowship with other Christians. Not the small talk, right? Not, not the small talk that happens, but true partnership. Confession of sins and, and sharing burdens and, and caring for one another. God has given us this fascinating and important source of joy. We need to dive deeper into it. The fourth source of our joy, security. Paul shares a confidence he has in verse 6. And I am sure of this. I am sure of this, certain, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Let's let those words sink in. I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will complete it. This is just one area where we get our doctrine, right? We like to say, once saved, always saved, or you call it the perseverance of the saves, right? We believe that once God saves, He saves to the end. And, and this right here, right, is one way that, that grace isn't just the starting point of our joy, but how it continually undergirds it. All right, we talked about this in Sunday school, right? Grace, the grace in the gospel isn't just like, hey, I believed this a long time ago and I just kind of move along or move away from it. Grace is the starting point and the continual source of the joy for Christians. It's God's grace that keeps you as a Christian, is what I'm trying to say. It's grace that keeps you being crazy, saved. If it were up to you, you would never get saved. And if it were up to you, you would totally mess your salvation up and lose it. We would never stay saved if it were up to us. 
Paul writes, I love this, what he writes in 2 Thessalonians 3, 5. He says, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. So it's the Lord himself who directs our hearts back to himself. And it's the Lord who perseveres for us. Right? Both in his example, because of his perseverance to the, to the cross, but also in his care, because he causes us to persevere. So we have a security. We have a security that God is going to keep us and cause us to persevere. Because Christ persevered and continues to persevere for us. We have a security, joy and security. The fifth reason for our joy, participation. This is actually really closely related to security because one of the ways the Lord brings about perseverance is through our participation. So, verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all, right? Why does he hold, hold them in his heart? For you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. One reason Paul can joyce in their security is not just because he's confident in Christ is going to keep them secure, but he's also rejoicing in their security because it shows in their service. But I want you to notice how grace not only undergirds our joy through security, but grace undergirds our joy through participation. In other words, it's grace that not only keeps them and us faithful to the gospel, it keeps us obedient to the gospel. Grace not only keeps you faithful to God, faithful to the gospel, but it keeps you obedient to God. Grace keeps you obedient to the gospel. And this obedience to the gospel comes out in their obedience for the gospel. So A, listen to this. Paul says, you are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment. So because they have cared for a messenger for the gospel, in other words. Paul's in prison and they have cared for him by sending someone to provide for his needs. That's what he goes on to say. They send Epaphras to care for him, provide for his physical needs, support him. Right? They participate in the gospel because they're caring for messengers of the gospel. Hello, missionaries. Right? If we want to support the sharing of the gospel, we support messengers of the gospel. But B, because they support the proclamation of the gospel. Through their praying, through their supporting, and through their sending, they are participating in God's eternal plan to save sinners through Obedient activity. Listen. Nothing will bring joy like being obedient to the gospel. Nothing will bring joy like being active in sharing the gospel. Participation. Sixthly, we have joy through knowledge. Paul prays in verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. 
Let me ask you this. How can you love someone without knowing them? And how can you continue to love someone, someone if you're just okay with knowing them at a superficial level? If when I met Mallory, I was okay with just continuing to talk about our favorite bands and favorite music and favorite movies, like cool with just the surface level stuff, that's not love, that's just apathy. The love that we have for God cannot be or remain a shallow love. There, there are some Christians who like to look down on knowledge, right? Look down on theology and on doctrine. They, they will argue that, or, or they see it as like an obstacle to actually loving God. In reality, we love theology and we love doctrine because we love God. Knowing God should want us to cause Him to know Him more. And in knowing God, there is an unplumbable, indefinite source of joy. I love what Charles Spurgeon said uh, about this. He says, Oh, there is, in contemplating Christ, a balm for every wound. In musing on the Father, there is a quietus for every grief. And the influence of the Holy Ghost, there is a balsam for every sore. Would you lose your sorrow? Would you drown your cares? Then go, plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in His immensity, and you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of sorrow and grief, so speak peace to the winds of trial, as a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. Knowing God. I feel like we could end here, but God gives us more. Seventh reason for our joy, anticipation. Paul prays God, or Paul prays that we would love God by knowing Him more, and then verse 10, so that, know Him more, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. In other words, knowing God more helps us to know what is good and excellent. Alright? Knowing what is good and excellent means knowing God's Word and how to apply it. Now that might seem obvious, but we don't know this automatically. And while anyone can understand God's Word, right? When, when our minds develop rightly and everything, every, anyone can understand God's Word, but plumbing its depths... And knowing its contents and applying it to life all take a lifetime of holiness. That doesn't come automatically. This is almost exactly what Paul says in Romans 12. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, your knowledge. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Why is all of this necessary? Why is, is growing in our knowledge of God and His Word to approve what is good and excellent necessary? Because we anticipate the coming of Christ. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. 
I don't think common to Christians is seeing uh, the day of Christ as a joyful thing. I think we often think of it as a scary thing. Like, like lights, uh, cop, cop car lights in your, wind, your rear, view, rear view mirror. It's, it's, it's good, it's, it's good but necessary. scary but necessary, right? Scary but necessary. But the day of, of Christ is a joy for Christians because Christ, uh, because it gives us confidence in His kingdom. All right, the day of Christ is a source of joy for Christians because it helps us to know that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. All that our hearts long for. Think about everything that your heart longs for. Security, and safety, and peace. Living without fear. No more division, fighting, violence. All of that will come to completion at the day of Christ. That's a source of joy. The final and last reason for our joy, number eight, glory. Glory. Paul finishes in verse 11. I pray all this, that you would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of praise of God. So all that we have seen this morning, grace and thanksgiving and fellowship, security, participation, knowledge and anticipation runs up to the source of it all, which is God's glory. All that God does, He does for His glory. For His praise. And all that He does, He does for our good, which is to see and savor His glory. Rejoice in that glory. To be in awe of that glory. I, I, I love what, how C.S. Lewis put it. I have tried to make every pleasure into a channel of adoration. I don't mean simply giving thanks for it. One must, of course, give thanks, but I meant something different. Gratitude exclaims very properly, how good of God to give me this. Adoration says, what must be the quality of that being whose far off and momentary uh, extensions are like this? One's mind must run back up the sunbeam to the sun. So, here's what C.S. Lewis meant. With every bite of a hot dog, every drip of juiciness from a grilled burger, the way a grape bursts in your mouth, the way fresh water cools you down, the way fireworks dazzle in the sky, the way clouds float lazily across the sky, and flowers bloom in bright colors. And laughter hurts your stomach. And music sounds so good. Are all extensions of God's glory and are meant to point us to His glory. The way He saves us by His grace and gives us a reason for thanksgiving and gives us fellow Christians and makes us secure in Christ and makes us partakers in His divine, divine saving mission, and gives Himself and his, as an eternal source of knowledge, and, and promises us the day of Christ, 
all point to His good and holy glory. God's glory is meant to be seen and beheld and felt. And and God's glory has always been outward going for the enjoyment of another. So for eternity, the Father's glory has been outward going through the giving of His Spirit to His Son. For the enjoyment of the Son. And the Son is glorified by the Father, sharing His glory through the Spirit. And the Son glorifies the Father by rebounding that glory back to Him. And so, God created not because He needed us. You'll hear sometimes Christians say, God created us because He was lonely. God was not lonely. God did not need us. God created out of the overflow of how awesome His glory is. And God saves because of the overflow of His glory. His holy goodness is in giving holy grace to unholy sinners so that they can see and savor His holy glory forever. If you're not a Christian, you can't see and savor what this glory is like. If you're not a Christian, you don't know this by experience. And God is glorified by His just punishment for your sin. Repent and cry out and trust in Christ today. Cry out to Christ to deliver you because your sin has separated you from God. And you will not know His glory as joy, but as terrifying wrath. So repent and believe today. But if you are a Christian, you can have joy. God has given you an overabundance of source and reason to have joy over and above and beyond what you could ever deserve or even experience. You can have joy. Are you cynical that you can have joy? You can have joy. Are you skeptical? You can have joy. Is your heart filled with pain and sorrow? You can have joy because God has given you everything you need for joy. Let's respond to God's Word this morning. Father God, I can't pretend to know how all of our hearts respond to your word. Some of our hearts respond with apathy. Some of our hearts respond with cynicism, thinking that there's no way that can be me. Some of our hearts respond in sorrow and in pain. Lord, and some of us respond in joy and praise. But Father, I pray that you would apply your word to our hearts by your Holy Spirit so that the cynic will have joy and no longer be cynical. That the mourner will have joy even in their mourning. Lord, and that sinners will be terrified by your glory. 
to retreat into Christ. Father, we praise you for our overabundance, every reason to have joy, to have hope. Forgive us for faithlessness when we don't believe these things and help us, Father, to dive deeper into these. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May I request everyone to please stand.